Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, Doug and Shahan, and today, Shahan, Big Ten Power Rankings for 2024. We did it last week for the SEC with U.S., excuse me, Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. What did we think that meant the SEC would look like in 2024 when those two teams arrive? We did that one through 16, how we think that'll shake out. Now the Big Ten, USC and UCLA arriving for the 2024 football season. What will the Big Ten look like one through 16 in 2024, Shahan? And we had, I don't know, I don't know we had much debate. Georgia and Alabama are clearly the two best teams in the SEC. And with what Georgia is doing right now, how could you have anybody but Georgia number one? I'm curious who you're going to have at number one. And I will admit that I struggled a little bit with my number one. And I especially find the top three interesting for the Big Ten. And I find like the top six interesting for the Big Ten. Because I think there are various ways that you can look at this. But but to start, Shahan, I do think there are really quite a bit of similarities to me between Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC and USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. And it's not just because of Lincoln Riley, but what historically Oklahoma has been and what historically USC has been and also what they can be right now, I think is fairly similar. And then historically what Texas has been and what UCLA has been and what they could be right now, I think is fairly similar. That One, I think is competing pretty near the top of its new conference, I would imagine. And the other is a bit of a wild card of like in the top half, but where exactly with some decent upside. I think Texas and UCLA have similarities there. How did you sort of view the general idea of cramming these two new schools into these two conferences? Well, I think that when it comes to USC, I think inarguably USC, whether you have them in the first spot or second spot, is the class of the new conference, right? Like that is unquestioned. The I, I think what's go, what's interesting versus in Oklahoma and uh, Texas joining is, you know, those two teams could end up somewhere in the mishmash of the middle class, right? Like I, I think that there is almost no chance that these two schools in 2024 or maybe the couple years after that have a chance to enter the top tier. I, I don't feel that way about USC, especially. I think that USC right away could come in and compete for conference championships. Now, UCLA, uh, I, look, I, I make jokes about Texas all the time, and you said the meanest thing ever, which is that they're basically UCLA. But wait, who's that mean to? Who is that mean to, Texas or UCLA? Just everybody. Everybody feels bad now. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, no, but I think that USC and UCLA have much more ability to come in and compete at the highest level in this conference than I think Texas and Oklahoma do. Now, Texas and Oklahoma long term, I agree, uh, have a chance to do what U- USC and UCLA can do. But it's going to be a quicker turnaround for these two programs. It just is. You know, when you look at uh, the amount of title contenders in the SEC versus the Big Ten. When you look at uh, the the history of USC versus the recent history, even of these two programs of Texas and Oklahoma, who haven't been, uh, you know, national champions in longer, 
And so, well, I guess, I guess Texas has won one, one year more recently, but you know, so I, I think that you look at the, the relative situation that USC is stepping into. I, I think that they are also from a financial perspective, probably poised to benefit notably more than Texas and Oklahoma are from their move. I think that Texas and Oklahoma already print money. Money is not the primary issue. I think that they're moving for competitiveness and recruiting reasons. Whereas I think that USC is going to fundamentally change their monetary situation. Uh, and so I do think that that sort of thing is relevant too. So there's definitely some comparisons here, but I think that USC and UCLA are poised to, to potentially jump in and be contenders right away. But the other thing that I'll mention too, is that they're going to have to play road games in, you know, Piscataway, New Jersey. And that's going to be something that's not fun for anybody. It's funny, that idea of those West Coast teams coming East. I think people talk about it maybe more in the NFL. A lot of times like, oh, the Seahawks are playing at the Panthers. You know, does that, how does that, how does that affect how we judge this game? I'm, I'm curious what the effect of that is on USC. If there will be, because it doesn't have to be every road game, but if there's like, a game a year where it's like, oh man, like you kind of didn't get the best of USC because they did that because they had to, you know, they had back-to-back road games and they were at Minnesota and then they flew home and then they were at Purdue. And that was just, that was a little something for them. I'll be curious to see how that works out from a competitive well, standpoint. The, one of the most famous lines that we've ever heard in the college football playoff is erasing a Stanford loss to Northwestern because of body clocks. Right. Like that is something that I think that people acknowledge. And I'll tell you what, you know, so we're actually we're actually going to California next week uh, to visit the in-laws. Wait, we us. Oh, wait. Sometimes when you use we on the podcast, I just assume you mean the two of us. I see. I, this is this is the issue with being married. Is that I just everything is we. Even if it's just me, it's actually we. Like you just you just get into that. Uh, so my wife and I. Not to- do you ever refer to me to your wife as your podcast husband? Have you ever used that I phrase? I do not. I've never, okay. never once, never once used it. I mean, see, here, here's the issue, Doug. We can be real about this. You're, you're kind of closer to my podcast dad than my podcast husband. <laughs> You know what I feel like right now? I feel like Texas. This is what it like. <laughs> it's like when Shahan attacks you. Podcast dad. Okay. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I'm like five years younger than your dad. I think you, how old's your dad? Uh, oh, no, no, no. He's, he's a little bit. So you're, I think that you're five years younger than my mom. My mom was born okay. in 1969. Okay. I'm four years younger than your mom. Okay. <laughs> My mom, to be fair, to be fair, my mom was pretty young when she when she had me relatively, uh, you know, she, she got married at 21 when I don't think that was her plan. But uh, originally, but then, you know, you meet the right person and and you decide to get married. I got married when I was 21. I wasn't oh, necessarily my plan either. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, so so the in, in conclusion, you could be my son. OK, yeah, moving yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> little shahad what i was saying is you know we go to california relatively often and you do feel it you do mm, legitimately yes. feel it we have a uh an event while we're over there that's at 8 p.m on a weekday and that's going to be 10 p.m for our bodies and i am already dreading it because it is really hard to just jump time zones like that and, and it's one thing to jump like if you jump one time zone right if you go from central time to eastern time not a huge deal we're doing that right now right i mean i'm central time you're eastern time uh yeah you know and so and that's one of the reasons i like central time is because you can jump one to to eastern time you can jump one back to mountain time no big deal two is 
kind of pushing it. Two is like you feel it. Three is a lot. Uh, whenever, whenever my wife and I were dating, uh, <laughs> there was a period where I was in Atlanta and where uh, where she was in California. And that was a lot. That was a lot to be three hours away. And that's going to be the case for a lot of teams that USC has to play. If they put them, and by the way, we, we have to remember too, USC is joining the Big Ten, which is a Fox production. And what is Fox's signature production? That's right. Big Noon Saturday, a.k.a. Big 9 a.m. Body Clock Saturday. I'll be very curious how all that shakes itself out because they're going to want, they are going to want USC in that window. Sometimes they are going to want USC, Ohio state in that noon window. Fox is going to want that. They're going to want USC, Penn state. They're going to want USC, Michigan and USC, Wisconsin and USC, Michigan state in windows like that. When USC is coming East, there's also that opportunity. And again, this is the whole big 10, the new TV deal. There's going to be that nighttime window. I think that's going to be the NBC window. Is that right? For the CBS, I can't remember everybody, but there's going to be that new window where really I do think USC is going to wind up holding down that later window a lot to give the Big Ten a full day of coverage. But th- this is going to matter. So I don't know how it, f- it factors into our rankings necessarily, but there are complications here for these California schools joining the Big Ten. But there's also football complications. And part of this is the view of Ohio State right now. And that is, and and people know I host an Ohio State podcast that, There's almost two Ohio States to me right now. There's like Big Ten Ohio State, Rivalry Ohio State, and then there's National Ohio State. So let's just get to who we have number one on our list of who we think the most powerful program in football in the Big Ten will be in 2024. The team program in the best shape that year. Shahan, who do you have number one? This was honestly pretty easy for me. There are two programs, I think, in college football that are run just top to bottom, better than everybody else. They've basically never been bad. They've basically uh, never had extended down periods. It doesn't mean that they haven't had bad seasons or bad tenures, but they don't fail. And that's Oklahoma, and that's Ohio State. Ohio State is arguably the most consistent program from a success perspective in all of college football. They win 10 games almost every year. Obviously, in the playoff era, they've hit another level under Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. There's no question to me that Ohio State is the number one team. Okay, that's who I have number one also. And now the Michigan people are saying, but what Michigan just beat Ohio State twice in a row and won the last two Big Ten titles and made the playoff the last two years. How can Michigan not be number one? And this is where your brain breaks a little bit because that's a very strong argument. And I don't think Michigan's going away. I don't. I know that they have some they have some assistant coach shuffling, perhaps. They've had some changes. I don't know if we know exactly what their quarterback situation post-J.J. McCarthy is going to be, although J.J. McCarthy still might be the quarterback in 2024. Very, very possible. Fourth year, J.J. McCarthy might be really, really, really good in 2024. But I think Jim Harbaugh has figured this out. And one of the things, Shahan, is I looked at, as I did with the SEC, I looked at the records, conference records over the last five years, but I'd say there's about at least half the teams in the Big Ten where the recent history doesn't matter because within that recent history, so much has changed. I don't know that I really care what Nebraska's been. They have Matt Rule now. I don't know that Wisconsin's recent history matters. They have Luke Fickle now. I think that Illinois with Brett Bielema, who cares what they did five years ago with Levy Smith, right? I think that a little bit applies to Michigan because this is 
The last two years matter. I don't know that much before that matters because Michigan has figured it out. But Ohio State is 38-3 and in Big Ten play the last five years in conference play. The next best team has nine conference losses. So I do think that still matters, and I do think Ohio State is the Big Ten team, and this includes USC right now, best equipped to go out into the world. And so Ohio State has to figure out how to beat Michigan. Because two years ago, maybe you could have looked at it as a one-off. Man, Aiden Hutchinson is good. Man, Ohio State's defense was bad. But then Michigan came to Columbus and just took care of Ohio State. And then it turns out Ohio State was practically as good as Georgia, but Michigan came to Columbus and took care of Ohio State. That was real. What Michigan has on Ohio State right now is real, but it wasn't enough for either of us to put Michigan ahead of Ohio State right now. Are we nuts? Are we hypocrites? Are we blind? Or are we trying to parse sort of maybe what the difference is right now between Big Ten in the Big Ten and Big Ten out in the world? Well, I mean, I think that the other part of this, too, is that having great individual teams is nice. But, like, I think that this is a bigger question than that. This is about the overall status of the program, right? Because, like you said, Michigan has Ohio State's number right now. They might have it again next year. It's a little bit of a transition year for Ohio State. And Michigan, I think, is going to have one of the better versions of their team that they've had in a while. So, like, this could happen again. They could win three straight heading into 2024. And also, Michigan got wiped off the planet by Georgia in 2021 and lost to TCU in 2022. And so, does that one matchup decide what these programs are every single year. You know, I mean, look, it, it decided trophies. It matters. And hang the, you know, hang the banners, uh, hold the trophies, all that sort of thing. But, like, I don't think that that changes fundamentally the status of these two programs. I say it over and over again. There are three teams in college football that are doing something that nobody else is doing. That's Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, which, which to me also is why Ohio State's failures against Michigan are such an indictment to me, uh, because I do think that that this is a program that should be above this. But, you know, fundamentally, again, Ohio State is one of these top three recruiting programs or one of the programs. They're the only program uh, in the playoff that has competed with Georgia other than Alabama in the last two years, right? Like they should have beaten Georgia, the team that destroyed everybody else. And so I think that when you look at Ohio State's program stature, versus Michigan, um, and certainly versus USC and Penn State and whoever else. I, I think that Ohio State is just, it's, it's on a different level. The reason that we're panicking about Ohio State because of this is because the bar is so high. And for Michigan, this is still kind of a nice story. This is a playoff show. And in 2024, we're going to start the 12-team playoff. And I do think like in the worst case scenario for Ohio State, Michigan seizes control of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, and Ohio State keeps making the playoff and goes into the playoff with a a style of play that should allow them to be very competitive with anybody in the country. And so that idea, and and this is not something that Ohio State fans would want to hear, of, well, Ohio State can't beat Michigan anymore, but they're still a national title contender every year. That becomes very possible, at least in the 12-team playoff, where... In the four-team playoff world, they threaded the needle this year to be able to get two Big Ten teams in. That's tough 
you need you need help. You you need some things to happen for that to be possible. Starting in 2024, that becomes very possible because there's going to be three Big Ten teams in every year. So Ohio State number one, I think, is the right call. And Michigan people can be mad about that. But it, it honestly, I don't have any questions about Michigan. I think they are doing exactly what they should do. I think the way they should play is exactly how they should play. And I think they will continue to get better at it and be able to take that style out into the world more effectively. So I still think Michigan is ascending, which brings us to number two. Who do you have number two for 2024 in the Big Ten? I've got USC. Yeah, me too. So sorry, Michigan. <laughs> I don't I I personally I personally don't even feel the need to apologize. I feel like again, we're talking about program status right now. We're talking about, you know, the teams that can win at the highest level. Lincoln Riley in year one went and won 11 games with like a haphazardly thrown together roster. And we talked about it, right? Uh, you know, when we entered this playoff show, there were four teams that we kind of considered the mainstays, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And it turns out, obviously they didn't make the playoff last year, but it turns out when we said Oklahoma, we actually meant Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley is a guaranteed 10-win season. It, unlike, like to the level that I don't think that hardly any other coaches. And so when you talk about being able to, to win consistently, win at the highest level, I mean, I think that it is more likely, and I think you look at their track records, I think it is more likely that Lincoln Riley runs off 10 and 11 win seasons every year than it is that Michigan does. I just do. So I keep talking about Michigan because I, I feel bad having Michigan where I have them. And and I really believe in Michigan's program right now. But let's wait until we get to Michigan. USC versus Ohio State. Could you see a world, Shahan? There's a, there's a lot of similarities here, right? Just recruiting quarterbacks, calling plays, Ryan Day at Ohio State, Lincoln Riley at USC. Gene Smith cited this a lot when Ryan Day was hired, that he had talked to Joe Castiglione, the, the Oklahoma athletic director that promoted Lincoln Riley when Bob Stoops left. That's what they did. You're an offensive coordinator, a veteran national championship head coach leaves, and you promote the offensive coordinator who's never been a head coach before and is pretty young. Gene Smith, the Ohio State athletic director, followed the Oklahoma plan. I think maybe Ryan Day exists on his own and gets that job anyway. But I think Lincoln Riley's success made Gene Smith a little more sure of his decision to promote Ryan Day when Urban Meyer left. They are going to be linked and now they already were. And now they're going to be in the same conference. So this idea, I think, right, are, are do we not view these as the two best offenses in college football, at least the two best passing offenses? And that probably is a shorthand for the best offenses. And now they're going to be in the same conference. We'll see how often they play. But what would it take in your mind or how possible is it that if we do this list in two years, USC's number one on this list? Does that seem like it would take a lot for USC to get past Ohio State or is it very on the table? I, I think it would probably take more than what they can do in two years. Uh, but, I mean, USC is going to be very competitive. I think that USC is going to be playoff adjacent in a four-team playoff this upcoming year. I think that they're 
basically a lock to be in the first 12-team playoff with the way that things are going right now. Obviously, we'll have to see how the transition to the Big Ten goes. But, you know, again, USC, I think, probably needs to get into that top five recruiting range to really, really, really compete with Ohio State from a program perspective. And you know me, I hate talking about recruiting, but it's just reality, right? And so I do think that, I mean, I've been vocal before that I'm a Lincoln Riley guy. I think that personally, I I would take Riley over day, but I think that I'd take Ohio State as a program over USC, right? And what Ohio State has built, like I talked about, from an administrative perspective, Ohio State is the gold standard. Like, they are the gold standard in college football. They, they are so organized top to bottom. They, uh, I think, have such a vision for their program. You know, we saw during the transition from Urban Meyer, they, they were able to keep a lot of their recruiting staff that managed to keep kind of this national recruiting going. I, I think Ohio State just does it better than anybody else in college football. And, you know, if Ohio State's administration was at any program in the South, I think that we could see similar results, right? So I, I think that Ohio State, uh, you know, th- they just do think that USC can't match up within the next couple of years. Now, would it shock me if USC has teams that are as good as Ohio State in the coming years? No, not necessarily. I think that Lincoln Riley's really good and he's got carte blanche to be able to do whatever he wants at, uh, at USC. And I think that that's a huge deal. But to me, Ohio State 1, USC 2 is a pretty no-brainer deal. USC has advantages in terms of recruiting terrain, of course, being in California. But, I, I mean, Ohio State's just done it so consistently so long. Uh, I, I think that they have to be 1 and USC has to be 2. So there was this window. USC filled the gap between the end of the U, what Miami was doing, late 90s, early 2000s, and before Saban took over at Alabama. And that window in there, USC, in the early 2000s there, like, right, three, four, five, six, right, that range, USC is like the best program in college football with what Pete Carroll was doing there. It was sort of a particular window. The SEC, there were, it was kind of, you know, taking turns about who was really good right then. And um, the Florida schools were kind of, maybe hitting a little bit of a rut. Urban Meyer, Florida's in there too, whatever. But USC, we know what Pete Carroll USC looks like. Is that what Lincoln Riley USC is going to look like? Because if it's that, now we're talking about, because we are talking about, and there's a, a bigger context question I'm going to ask here in a second, but USC has the ability, has in the recent past, been not just the best team, but the best program in college football. With where college football is now and USC joining the Big Ten, can USC be that again? I think that it's there. I think the potential is there. But I do think that we are in a position where the power nexus of college football has just moved to the southeast. And I think that we see that in the way that Ohio State's recruiting. I think that USC is going to go national too. You know, when you look at the great USC teams, a lot of it was just built through California, and I don't necessarily think that you can do that anymore. So do I think that they can be a nationally relevant program that competes for national championships? Yes, absolutely. I do think that that's the case. Do I think that they can rebuild Pete Carroll's deal? You know, that's a lot to ask for me. Okay, so let's go to number three. And is there any debate about who is number three? I don't know. Is there? It has to be Michigan, right? It has to be Michigan. Okay. So I am drawing a line. I mean, I think everybody would, right? 
these these this is the top three, and I don't know that the two of us really think there's a huge discussion about the order. I, I Ohio State really should be one, USC really should be two, Michigan really should be three. But here's my question: In 2024, when the 2024 season begins, is it possible? that these three programs will be three of the six best programs in college football. So, cause here's my question. If the top five, would the top five possibly be in 2024 when we say ceiling, recruiting, coaching, recent success, the way the future's lined up again, the upside that it's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, Michigan, USC. Is that possible? It's possible. I do think it's possible. Is it probable? It's hard for me to imagine that both USC and Michigan will be rolling at the same time. Not because they're not because it's zero sum, but just I think that, you know, you start getting Clemson in there. Clemson added Garrett Riley, of course. So I think that's gonna be a big deal. You start adding LSU in there, you you add Oklahoma in there, you add uh, you know, even an Oregon in there, for example. I, I think that it's going to be pretty competitive to get to that number five spot, but it's definitely possible. Uh, I, I just think that there's gonna be a lot of competition from from the SEC as well. But again, when you think about what this 12 team playoff world is going to be, and it's basically going to be set up for the power five conferences probably to get to you're not guaranteed to the pac 12 and the big 12 aren't certainly and the acc they're not guaranteed to but they have an opportunity for two the the sec and the big 10 are guaranteed to every year and i think very strong for three and so i don't think it's going to change at michigan i don't think this is a window at michigan i think this is the new michigan and especially in a world where 10 and 2 and maybe 9 and 3 depending who your losses and your wins are against and how good your conference is gets you in the 12 team playoff and maybe you're sliding in as a 10 but you're a 10 that nobody wants to play sure i think these three programs and we talked about this in the sec it's like well bama and georgia aren't going anywhere and then there's this fight right where is it lsu is it oklahoma who, who can be that next SEC team, Tennessee, to be really competitive right there. I think the top three is more clear here in the Big Ten. And I think in the 12-team world, I think the first five years of the 12-team playoff, I think it's possible that in, in, in five years, these three teams take up 13 playoff spots out of 15 possibilities. You know, that I, I, I think that's very possible. Do you agree with that? No, I do. And and. T- you know, I want to get to my number four because I think that they're like sort of the dividing line of this group. So so this is my question because I think the dividing line is here. Okay, You do okay. not think the dividing line is here. You think there's one more before a dividing line? I think that I think that what I'm describing as a dividing line is going to be different than what you're just. So, so there is a the top three is the top three and nobody is touching them. I think that when I get to four, which is Penn State. Okay. <laughs> We're we're talking about dividing lines. I'm going to make you hold your dividing line for after the break. We'll be back with Shahan's dividing line next on the College Football Survivor Show. Previously on the College Football Survivor Show. One of the differences between the NFL and college is the NFL's better at throwing the ball (laughs) than college is. So there are more incomplete passes in college football 
But this really would be more of a fundamental change to the game. It could really cut some time off. But is it too big of a change? Well, first of all, uh, you've got a Chicago Bears fan and somebody's covered the Cleveland Browns. So I, I take issue with the idea that NFL teams are at all good at throwing the ball to receivers. But yeah, this was definitely the most controversial one. This is the one that people have uh, been the most vocal about. I don't think I hate it as much as other people do, but I don't think I like it. Catch the latest episode of the College Football Survivor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Doug and Shahan are back. I, I, I love tiers. I love dividing lines. The reason I had those top three is because I think they are going to be almost assured regular participants in the 12-team college football playoff. And I would not assign that necessarily. I would not. I would not right now, based on recent past and predictive future, assign that to anybody else. My next tier is three teams. You're saying you think Penn State at number four really kind of belongs with this other group of top three? So, no. What I I think that... (laughs) I put words in your mouth. Sorry. Sorry, son. (laughs) So when you get to Penn State, I think you are getting to the last program in the Big Ten that is kind of the borderline of competing for the playoff year in and year out. I, I think that once you get below this line, there are teams that are going to make playoffs, but it's going to be one-offs. It's going to be outlier seasons where, you know, the top three above them, they should expect to be at least on the periphery of the playoff every single year. I think that Penn State is that line that should expect to compete for the playoff many years. And once you get below that, I don't know. It, it starts to get a little dicier. So I have Penn State five on my list. I, I do not have them four. And I guess I don't disagree with you. It's hard because Penn State was excellent last year. Penn State was 11 and two and Penn State's only two losses were to playoff teams in Ohio State and Michigan. The year before Penn State was seven and six. The year before in the COVID year, Penn State was four and five. So they've had two rough years out of the last three, but we know that their ceiling is a top 10 program. In in James, the last seven years of Penn State, they finished in the top 10 of the AP poll four of the seven years. That's a high bar. That is a very high bar. And guess what? If you're in the top 10 of the AP poll at the end of the year, guess what that probably makes? 12-team playoff, a decent amount of the time. Now, the difficult thing is going to be, we agree on the top three, life just got harder for Penn State. Life got harder for everybody because now USC's in here and you're going to see how things work out. There is a program that I have higher than Penn State because their recent success is almost as good and they have undergone a fundamental change that makes me very curious about their future. And if Wisconsin manages to combine the best of the past with a future they have never before embraced and they are the defense offensive line run game badgers with Phil Longo calling the shots offensively, higher level quarterback recruiting and a head coach in first-year coach Luke Fickle, who has already made the playoff, I know they've been taking care of business in the West in the Big Ten, and they were going to go into a world where it's not going to be divided the same way. When I think about Penn State and Wisconsin, I feel like I know what Penn State is, maybe. Now, Penn State also has never had a true, true game-changer at quarterback. If Drew Aller, who's going to be their starter this year as a second-year quarterback, if Drew Aller is that, 
watch out for Penn State. But I'm, I am fascinated to see if the new combination at Wisconsin is a whole new world. And they have been a super consistent winner. So I have Wisconsin fourth. But to me, there is a significant drop-off between Michigan at three and Wisconsin at four. And then I have Penn State five. Where do you have Wisconsin? I have them five. I think that you're absolutely right. They're right on that borderline. And the funny thing, here's here's the funny thing about me putting Penn State four and, and you putting Wisconsin four. I said in my SEC rankings that the way that I was looking at it was trying to find approximately the 50th percentile, trying to find the most likely outcome. But this time, I bet on upside. I think that Penn State has upside that Wisconsin doesn't have. And you went the other direction, which is usually the opposite of what we do. But I think that is the question for me is, I think that Wisconsin is poised to get into the playoff as a 10 seed and lose in the first round. I think that that is what they are going to be built to do. Uh, now, and that's a great season. I don't want to, I don't want to knock that kind of season. I think that the best of Penn State is winning playoff games. I think it is getting to the national semifinals. I don't think that they can win a title. That, that's a whole other question. But I, I think that Penn State just has a higher ceiling right now. Now, at the same time, Luke Fickle is a really freaking good coach, like a really freaking good coach. And Wisconsin's had their system come through. And, and we can look back now and Brett Bielema was a good coach and, and all that. But I mean, when you're talking about the quality of an individual coach, I mean, Luke Fickle is up there with anybody that Wisconsin's had since Barry Alvarez. And so I, I do think that maybe getting that guy in and running something that because that, you know Wisconsin is recruiting uh, to a specific type of system they're recruiting specific type of players well now they're competing with everybody they got Phil Longo as their offensive coordinator and and they got Mike Tressel as their defensive coordinator like they're going to be trying to build something similar to everybody else and and you know maybe there is upside there I don't know I, I have two words for you okay northern Georgia a defensive-minded head coach with a strong defense. There's a strong defensive history at Wisconsin. And then you hire a coordinator offensively who can dial it up. And you don't necessarily need the world's greatest quarterback. And it's not like Georgia has run through. George Pickens was really good, but they won a national title when George Pickens was hurt. They lost their best receiver the next year. You know, Brock Bowers is special, but Wisconsin has a history of tight ends. You know they're going to run the ball. I still love Braylon Allen. Let me counter to that, okay? Uh, I'm going to list off every single blue-chip recruit from the state of Wisconsin in the 2023 recruiting cycle. No, no. I, wait. And did, did you miss this it? Part we, where we compare I, I Wisconsin all. and Georgia recruiting? <laughs> but that, that's the issue. That's the issue. But, but that's true for everybody in the Big Ten, right? So, But there's a philosophy in a way you go about your business. So the, the thing that I would say is, in the end— Georgia had a defensive first mentality, and by the time we got to the Ohio State-Georgia game, I thought Georgia's offense was a bigger problem for Ohio State than Georgia's defense was because they figured out what they need, who they were and how to do it, and they had a great play caller. If Phil Longo can be that offensively, and they have this tradition of defense, it is not at the Georgia level, but it's the Georgia idea. And that, so you're, but what, what you're saying is you pick Penn State maybe because there's more upside. I'm saying I think the possible upside of this new version of Wisconsin 
is why I'm picking them, because I think that upside might be even higher than Penn State. Again, because I I think I know what Penn State is, and it's very, very good. But to me, if Penn State's going to become any kind of regular playoff team, they're going to be who they are, just a little bit better. Wisconsin might be a new version of this that we have never really seen. So it's close to me. I think this is clearly four and five, but and and get, get back to me like in mid October when it's like, oh no, it's not that. Remember when Doug compared Wisconsin <laughs> to Georgia? Doug also spent all last offseason going, "What if Graham Mertz is good? What if Graham Mertz is good?" So maybe I'm just swayed by cheese. Because here's the thing: I, I think that my my issue with this comparison is, I think that it's not only integral that georgia is being made in the state of georgia but like i think that's the whole point is that georgia's like we can run our program this way because we can recruit the state of georgia and get defensive linemen that nobody else in the entire country can touch like i i think that the number one thing isn't that it's a defensive play caller or that it's a you know hard-nosed coach or that they're interesting offensively like I think that it's that they can recruit Georgia kids and shut down the state. That's what, that's why they're national champions. And I think that that just doesn't exist at Wisconsin. And so, no, at the same time, I don't think that they're going to try from a recruiting perspective to, to match Georgia or their strategy in any given way. I think that they are going to go national as they should. I mean, Luke Fickle obviously knows Ohio incredibly well. I think he's going to, to use his, uh, his connections to his advantage. And I expect him to have very good classes there, but the the Georgia upside to me, and not I, I know that you're not saying that Wisconsin's going to turn into Georgia, but the Georgia upside is built around the idea that there is a recruiting mismatch that you can take advantage of more than it is about having a defensive coach or having a good offensive play caller. No, but that's but that's why I said north. I mean, like that just it doesn't exist in the north. I mean, that's just it's not going to be. But if you have an, it's like a defensive identity with a play caller that can elevate the offense, I think is the thing that I'm zeroing in on there. But in the end, I don't. I think we see great possibility for both Wisconsin and Penn State in this tier below the top three. But they, when we have this SEC discussion, it's like how many teams in the conference, how much is their ceiling a playoff team? I think we agree that Wisconsin and Penn State, their ceiling is a playoff oh, team. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All right, so then who do you have six? At six, I have UCLA. That's also okay. This is this is where it gets interesting. Slotting them in, I also have UCLA six here, and I'm drawing a line after UCLA. I, I will say this. I will say this. I do feel like some of this is just like me expressing anger at the Ferentz family. Wait till you see where I have Iowa. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm not looking forward to look because because I I will say for mine and we don't have to get to yours quite as yet. I have Iowa at seven. I think that if you look at recent results, I mean Iowa is up there with. I mean I was arguably more successful than Penn State. Now at the same time, you have to contextualize that the. Uh, you have to contextualize, of course, that the West is going away and that's going to fundamentally shift what Iowa is. And, um, you know, they're not going to fall apart by any means, but it's going to shift what they are. Uh, but certainly I think that, um, you know, if you look at You're the so recent excited. Results, We're trying to talk about Chip Kelly and you I can't know. wait to talk about the Ferences. We're going to get to the Ferences. And here's my, here's my tease. Okay. I don't have okay. them seven. <laughs> the last five years in conference play, Ohio State number one at 38 and three. Michigan number two at 33 and nine USC in its conference play 
27 and 14. Iowa, 29 and 15. So actually in the Big Ten, third best conference record in the last five years. Slightly behind USC or about the same as USC. Okay. But UCLA. UCLA slots in here. To me, I'm drawing a line here because I think what UCLA, and again, this is not recent history. UCLA, the last five years in conference play is 22 and 21. But I don't know if that matters anymore. The last two years, they've been good. And now they just got a big-time quarterback recruit, and it feels like maybe Chip Kelly found it. And when Chip Kelly finds it, we know what that looks like. It looks like a national championship contender. And I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, the Nike thing. But if Chip Kelly could do it at Oregon, why couldn't he do it at UCLA? And and he struggled enough early there to make us think, oh, no, he's not going to. But the last two years, Shahan, I think UCLA is is clearly six here. I think they are clearly behind Wisconsin and Penn State. But I think UCLA is clearly ahead of anybody else in the established Big Ten. And I see this upside, Shahan. I could see them moving up if they can build on what these last two seasons have been. No, I'm curious about UCLA because I feel like I feel like for my entire football watching life, the conversation has been, oh, well, when UCLA figures it out, when they figure it out, it's going to be great when they figure it out. And they've never figured it out, really. Now, these last two years, I think, have been very good. I think that they are absolutely progress. Uh, to get a kid like uh, Dante Moore is, is the kid coming in at quarterback who is going to be, I think, pretty incredible for them. You know, maybe, maybe this changes things. Maybe this changes their stature in the sport, like you mentioned. And I think the other thing, too, is that UCLA, I mentioned it with USC, but truly with UCLA, that is a team that is cash poor right now. That is a team that left because they needed money to be able to do anything. And so I do think that this could change their level of investment. They've got a really, I think, good, smart athletic director in Martin Jarmond, who is somebody who I think will do all the stuff around the edges to, to raise the profile of this program. And certainly, look, you know, the, the dream is always that UCLA starts recruiting California at an elite level, and it hasn't happened yet. But I do think that playing in the Big Ten will help UCLA from a recruiting perspective as much as anybody moving conferences will, I think, in college football right now. So, you know, look, there's a chance that they also totally flame out and are a bottom-tier team. There's absolutely a chance of that. But I think that UCLA has been pretty smart about the way that they've prepped their program for this move. And I think that uh, that mixed with Chip Kelly, I think, doing some good stuff at the right time, mixed with the infusion of cash that I think will legitimately help this program because... They're just one of those programs that never has any money. I, I think that that's all going to help. Nine and four last season, eight and four the year before. The first three years of Chip Kelly, three and nine, four and eight, three and four. So it was like, oh, this isn't this isn't going to happen. But now they're, they've had they're coming off their best two seasons in a decade, and I do think that upside. I think their upside. They were in the playoff mix this year in a good Pac-12. Their upside, I think, is a playoff team. Do you agree with that? I think so. I think so. Again, we're, we're talking about them in the context probably of getting the 10-11 seed and probably losing in the first round, but I think they could get there. Yeah. Okay. You have Iowa 7. Yes. So let's have the Iowa discussion. I have Iowa 12. And the reason I have Iowa 12 is because <laughs> this, is on, not a, this is not a ranking of the past. It's not a ranking of the past. And I think with where they are, Iowa has lived 
They have been the zombie team of the West. They have fed on the brains of the dead West programs. Nebraska fell off a cliff. Illinois was a mess for a lot of it. Wisconsin has been leaking at the end of the Paul Christ era. Northwestern won two West titles in three years. It was there for the taking. And so Iowa was like pretty good all the time. And the West is going away. And I think everything we covered, the, some of the, one of the comments we got on the, is the episode we did a couple weeks ago was like, I liked it, but I don't know if you needed 40 minutes on Brian Ferris to start off the show. It's like, we get it. I said, with Iowa, nothing should be more than 25 with Iowa. So we shouldn't have gone more than 25 minutes. We don't have to cover that ground again. But Iowa, I think, is headed for a fall. And I think it is because the Big Ten is changing. Kirk Ferentz is not changing. I think this 2023 season is going to be a joke for Iowa. I think the best thing that could happen to Iowa is that Brian Ferentz doesn't hit his markers. They fire him and get a better offensive coordinator. But I just think it's dysfunctional right now. And so as you look ahead, as I look to 2024, because there's a pretty interesting middle here in the Big Ten, I just feel much better about the futures of five other programs than I do about Iowa. Why do you have Iowa as high as seven? We know what the past is, but this is a future ranking. I think the thing is for me is that, look, the Big Ten West is going away, like you mentioned. But also, I think that outside of Wisconsin, Iowa is still sort of the class of the teams that were in the Big Ten West. And I think that the bottom half of the East is kind of variable right now. I, I think that it's kind of interesting. So, so you know, I have them behind USC. I have them behind UCLA. But, you know, and not to get into my rankings yet, I don't think that there's another team from the Big Ten West that clearly oh, should be ahead of them, in my I mind. I completely disagree with that. All right, so let's get to my seven then. Illinois. Let's have a Brett Bielema conversation. They're just getting started, man. There is upside. There is real upside there. He has done it with the existing roster, with transfer quarterbacks. They got more transfer quarterbacks coming in. They've established an identity. I think there is absolute upside for Illinois. This is a guy who has won before in the Big Ten. Brett Bielema is where he's supposed to be, and I have zero hesitation. Over the next five years, who would I take? I would take Illinois absolutely ahead of Iowa, no doubt about it. I think the best of Illinois is to come. Where do you have Illinois? I think you're crazy. I had them at 11. <laughs> Brett Bielema is very good. I don't want to dismiss that. But this was also so much a like, oh, we're, we're having a pretty nice season and we're in the West. So a pretty nice season can turn into an awesome season. Like that's so much what last year was. And that's not enough. I, I think that Illinois is going to be very solid from here on out. I think that they're going to be a consistent bowl team, a consistent seven win team. I think it's going to be great. But we're not talking about them competing for the 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 day why are we Big talking Iowa then? For, we're talking we're not talking about we're talking about iowa versus illinois i know and i'm saying that iowa again like last year was a bad miserable no good year for iowa and it still matches what some of illinois best seasons were like that's just reality and also by the way uh you know again we don't need to get into it um, they're going to fire their offensive coordinator after this year because we're going to have a, a giant gauge up with the number 25 on one end. And, and with a, you don't think there is inherent rot 
in the Iowa program with things that have happened on and off the field with the way Kirk Ferentz is running this program. You don't think this is rotten from the inside out and it's going to collapse. That's exactly what I'm expecting for Iowa football. I think there is a chance. There is a chance that there is a a D-Day moment. But I think the other part of this, too, is that, you know, Kirk Ferentz isn't going away soon. But if there is that collapse, I think that they're going to be a very attractive job. I I think that people, there are so many people with ties to Iowa, off the Hayden uh, Fry tree and all that, even people who worked under Ferentz. So if this day does come, I think that Iowa will have an incredible selection of coaches to choose from to replace Kirk Ferentz. And Kirk Ferentz is, what, 68, I think, at this point? Like, it's not going to be forever. It's going to be too long, but it's not going to be forever. And so I think that, you know, for you, I I know that this is about 2024, which also I don't think that necessarily this rot will come home to roost by 2024. But I, I think that when you look at Illinois and when you look at Iowa, Illinois to me is a good coach doing good things. When you look at Iowa, I think this is a program that will have much more ability to make something happen, even in a post-Ferentz age. I don't think that their program value is as intrinsically tied to an individual coach. Well, they've had two only two coaches in the last 50 years. I mean, it's Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. No, we don't know. We don't know. I think it's going to get messy. It's messy already. Like, I, don't, I do not think Kirk Ferentz is going to go calmly into the night. I think he is going to hold on by his fingernails. And if this goes south, it could get messy. And maybe, maybe influencing my opinion is I, I saw up close and personal the transition at Kansas State from Bill Snyder to Chris Kleiman. And it went great. And people kind of understood the identity. And people kind of understood what they wanted in a coach. And the administration was strong enough. And maybe, maybe that's the difference. Maybe Gene Taylor, the AD at, at Kansas State, is just something different than Gary Parta. And, and maybe that's a big part of it. But I think that they did a good job of saying this is Chris Kleiman's program now and he's going to be able to do things the way that he wants to. And they hired a really good coach and now they won the Big Ten, I, Big 12. Oh my gosh. Don't you remember when Stu Snyder, Bill's son, was the offensive coordinator at Kansas State and what a mess it was? Actually, actually, that that was the thing. Uh, so it, it wasn't it wasn't Stu, it was Sean. And he was the special teams coordinator and Bill kept trying to hold on so that Sean would be like backed into being the new head coach. And Gene Taylor, the athletic director, was like, nah, man, nah, nah, we're going to hire a coach. Like, thank you for your services. Uh, We named the stadium after you. Now it's time. And remember, though, when Kansas State said, if we don't average 41.6 net yards per punt, we're going to fire your kid. Remember when they said that? And it was such a mess. Well, I mean, I I would have asked, come on, come on. These are punting programs, man. You can't be, can't be half-assing it. Come on. Can't be messing with that. All right, so there's another West team that you're not putting enough respect on their name. We're going to run through the bottom of the Big Ten and finish this list up when we come back next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So, Shahan, there's another team in the West that I absolutely no doubt about have ahead of Iowa, and it is a program that has won at least nine games in each of the last three non-COVID years, and it's Minnesota. I have them number eight. PJ Fleck, nine and four, nine and four, three and four, 11 and two, the last four years. That is unbelievable. 
And I, I think there is more upside there. I've always said I think that Minneapolis is a great Big Ten city. I think there is potential there. I think P.J. Fleck has tapped into it. I don't think he has done tapping into it. I have Minnesota 8th. You said you also have Minnesota 8th? I do have Minnesota 8th. Uh, I think that, yeah, Minneapolis is one of the more underrated places in the country. And, no, I mean, you look at what he's doing. People, people dismiss P.J. Fleck because of all the theatrics. But he just wins, man. He just wins. <clears throat> people buy into his message. People buy into his system. I, I think he's done a good job of hiring assistants, even when they flipped over. It's, it's just impressive. That what he's doing is impressive, and I'm glad that you're talking about it that way, and I think that we need to talk about it more, that Minnesota is doing something impressive. I, I could also see that Minnesota's absolute, absolute, absolute peak is a playoff team, like a once-every-ten-years kind of peak, like a historic I mean, They went 11-2. and two. They went 11-2. They went 11-2. They had that big Penn State win. They finished number 10 in the AP poll in 2019. Like They were right there. That's a Rashad Bateman peak, right? That's a you get some skill guys together. You have a structure in place for your program to succeed, and then you hit on a couple skill guys. If they if they get a Drew Brees type at quarterback, right? Like do I think there is a an absolute upside there for a brief moment that could get them in the playoff. That could be. I can't believe it. Did you? It's the great. If TCU can do it, I think Minnesota can do it. Not consistently. But I think at least their supreme peak is that. I don't think we've seen it yet. So we both have Minnesota 8. I, I will say I, I disagree with that. I don't think they can make the playoff. I, I just think okay. that – I, I think yeah, that PJ, I think that Minnesota's PJ, path – PJ, Minnesota SID, send this to PJ. Wow, the, the most uh, – the harshest disrespect I've ever heard, Minnesota won't make the college football playoff. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, I, I think that the thing with Minnesota is that their path is just so much tougher than TCU. I think that they could have a team that's of comparable quality to what this TCU team was. I mean, they haven't. To, to be clear, they haven't had a team that's that good. But it's just then you have to – you have to beat out like four of the teams that we just listed above them, and that's a lot. All right, I have Michigan State 9. I also have Michigan State 9. And this perhaps is low for Michigan State because two years ago, we would have had them higher than this. Two years ago, they were absolutely in the heart of the playoff mix. That was a transfer-laden team. Mel Tucker flipped it quick. They took a step back last season. I do think, again, trying to figure out moving pieces. Mark D'Antonio's greatest success at Michigan State when Michigan State was an absolute monster for a while there came while Michigan was in trouble. So now if you think Michigan's not going away, I think it's harder for Michigan State to be at that peak D'Antonio level. I think Mel Tucker is the right guy for the job. I think Michigan State did what it had to do to keep Mel Tucker. I think there is good football ahead for Michigan State. But in terms of fitting pieces together, style of play, I think Luke Fickle takes a little bit of this juice as like a defensive-minded head coach with Ohio ties. And I think maybe just where Wisconsin football is, is maybe a cut above Michigan State. And now you have like kind of a similar vibe. So I could see people saying this is too low for Michigan State. But I think Michigan State's going to be good at football. I just think the Big Ten's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, right, if you are a great team, if you're Ohio State, then you probably look at this and you're like, this is tough, but it's manageable. But if you're a middle class team, then this is 
going to be hell, right? Like this is going to be hell. This is going to be a situation where a bad season is legitimately three and nine or four and eight. And that's not going to be a fun place to be. Michigan State is so interesting because like you said, uh, they took advantage of Michigan being down. That's definitely a part of it. The other thing too was Mark D'Antonio was, he lived in the state of Ohio. He lived in the state of Ohio, uh, from a recruiting perspective. And now you do. I, I mean, I do wonder how much Luke Fickle taking over at Cincinnati did impact Michigan State. Um, you know, I, I think that when you look at Mel Tucker, I expect him to continue to be a somewhat national recruiter, which is probably the right decision for them with what they've got right now. But for Michigan State, from a high school recruiting perspective, they're going to need to figure out what their terrain is. A lot of these programs, honestly, are going to need to figure out what is our recruiting terrain. And it can be national. I'm not, I'm not saying that it can't be. But, you know, Michigan, for example, they obviously clean up in the state of Michigan. They do really well in Ohio. And they figured out, you know, New Jersey is a place that we can really make hay. You know, the, sort of the, the private school system over there is actually very similar, I think, culturally to, to what Michigan is in some ways. And they've gotten Rashawn Gary, right? Rashawn Gary was a kid from New Jersey. Dwayne Haskins was a, oh, well, I guess that's over at Ohio State. But, you know, they found a place that worked for them. Jabril Peppers. Yeah. Yeah, Jabril Peppers. Exactly. I, I think that Michigan State needs to find their new terrain. That is a big I, issue for them. That was a secondary-fueled playoff appearance for Cincinnati two years ago. Sauce Gardner, Detroit kid, Kobe Bryant, Cleveland kid as their two corners. I think five years earlier, they're maybe both at Michigan State when they had the no-fly zone and you saw that. So I do think that – I just think it's – I don't think it's impossible for Michigan State come back in the, in two years and we do this. And I think we both have Michigan State nine. I think we could have them five or six. But I just think it's a tough slog ahead. Number 10, I have Maryland. The Maryland was a tough one for me to identify. I ended up putting them at 12, but like with a lot of upside because Maryland is probably the single biggest beneficiary of, of divisions going away because they have been in hell these last couple of years. I, I think that they've had underrated teams over the past two or three years under Mike Loxley, uh, including this past year, I think what they won eight games, right? Like they had a good team this year. If their schedule didn't include all of the superpowers in the big 10, I, I think that this is a team that could thrive. Now to be clear, you know, we're not talking about a team that can, that can probably get to the playoff, but this is a team that I think will have above average teams relatively often. I think if Maryland was in the West this past season, they may have won the West. I, I think won the so. West. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Maryland lost to Purdue head-to-head, 31-29. It was a really close game. But you look at Maryland's losses. Michigan, Purdue in a close game, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State. So they are very good. But just because they're in the East with those – at least three powers, and depending how good Michigan State is, maybe four sometimes, they've lived in that tough world. I think there is upside there. I think that uh, clearly Mike Loxley is becoming a leader. They just had a national conference for minority coaches that Mike Loxley helped organize. He's becoming a leader in that movement. I think potentially the Kevin Sumlin hire, Maryland just hired Kevin Sumlin as an assistant coach. This is, I, I think Maryland might be building something. I, I just think they've they've established this this offense. This is a guy who was an offensive coordinator at Alabama. Mike Loxley is a good recruiter. He's a good offensive mind, and I think he is showing that he is a leader. And I think you open up this idea. You don't have them trapped in the East, and I think there is 
real, real upside with Maryland. So I think they could even be higher on this list. If you said you should have Maryland higher than Minnesota, I you could make that argument. Because again, if you put Maryland in the West and Minnesota in the East, we're, you're, you're affecting records. So all credit to Minnesota, but they don't have to do what Maryland has to do. So we both, I have Maryland 10, you have them 12, you have them too low. You have Maryland too low. You're disrespecting Maryland. <laughs> and I will mention, I have Illinois 11, which obviously you had them higher up. Uh, again, I just think that it's more tied to what Bielema is doing than necessarily the future you of also, Illinois football. You're not respecting Brett Bielema. Yeah. I, I respect Brett Bielema. Who do you have 10? <laughs> Who do you have 10? This was probably the single hardest team for me to place. And that's the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Okay, so I get this. I have Nebraska 11, and this is a bet on Matt Rule, and you know Matt Rule better than I do as the former head coach at Baylor. There is real potential. This is all potential, but it's a proud tradition that has mucked it up the last two hires, and maybe they got it right. Do you think they got it right? Do you think Nebraska's about to rise again? I absolutely think they got it right. Actually, the day that Matt Rule was fired as head coach of the Carolina Panthers, I wrote a column for CBS Sports saying Nebraska just found its coach. He should absolutely be the guy. Now, I will say Nebraska might go like four and eight this year and people will freak out. That's just the Matt Rule, baby. Like that's just what he does. He he absolutely is a garbage can in his first season and figures out what he wants to do and figures out what players he can trust and then it gets better. I, I wish that 2024 was his third season instead of his second season. It'll probably be more of a transition year. But by year three, I think that they're going to be an eight nine win team. Uh, so here's what I'll say about uh, Nebraska. I think that Nebraska needed somebody who was going to find that perfect balance of respecting the past but looking to the future and and just make Nebraska fans feel good about themselves because they I, I mean Scott Frost was supposed to be that but it was like a it, he got like a year before everybody felt awful like he he really got like a year before everybody was feeling bad and I think that when you look at Nebraska right now they're trying to build themselves back up to a national program They've got the NIL stuff, I think, figured out in a big way. I think that Matt Rule is going to use that to his advantage. Matt Rule has hired a staff with lots of ties in the state of Texas. I expect that he's going to recruit that area. I expect he's going to recruit the West Coast. I expect he's going to recruit the Midwest as well. And, you know, look, I I think that Matt Rule is really good at building a program. He, He is a program builder. You look at what he did at Temple. You look at what he took over at Baylor versus what he left. The thing that I always say is he didn't win the Big uh, the Big 12. But that 2021 Big 12 team was a lot of Matt Rule, even though Dave Aranda was the coach. And so do I think that it's going to be quick? Not necessarily. I mean, Matt Rule is signed to a long contract for a reason. But I do think that Matt Rule is going to get them back to consistent competitiveness. I don't know exactly what the upside is. If you told me that the upside was to be in that UCLA-Wisconsin competing for a playoff spot in their very best seasons, that would not surprise me. Now, the reason that they're so low relative is also because the floor is so low with what Nebraska is right now. And look, Matt Rule also just flamed out as a head coach in the NFL. He did. He's not, a, he's not an NFL coach. Right. I think that that's irrelevant to what he's going to do in college, but it's something to watch, right? Matt Rule has never failed before, and you don't necessarily know how people are going to react to failing. So... It's going to be interesting. I'm a Matt Rule believer. Uh, I obviously, you know, as people know, got to watch it up close and personal at Baylor. 
but I think that there's enough questions that I have them 10. But if you look up in, if you ask this question about 2026, I think I might have them higher. So let me ask you this. Why do you have Iowa ahead of Nebraska, even for 2024? Because I don't. I just, if we're looking at all to the future, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, I feel so much better about their futures than Iowa. We, I, I, I'm, it's a rhetorical question because I don't want to talk about Iowa anymore. They had the worst offense that we've seen in a hot minute, and they won eight games anyway. And that would have been the best season. you think season that's going to continue? You think it's going to continue? It's going to fall. Okay, I can't talk about Iowa anymore. I can't talk about <laughs> Iowa anymore. But our major difference here in this mid part is just flipping Illinois and Iowa. We both have Minnesota eight. We both have Michigan State nine. I have Maryland ten. You have Maryland twelve. You have Nebraska ten. I have Nebraska eleven. So we're like in the same range here. The big difference is I have Illinois seven. You have Illinois eleven. You have Iowa seven. I have Iowa twelve. So we have the same bottom four here, and let's look look at these together. My final four for 2024 are Northwestern 13, Rutgers 14, Purdue 15, Indiana 16. What's your bottom four? I have Purdue 14. Uh, Obviously, coaching change. We don't necessarily know what that is. Just give Give your list first. Give your list first. Okay. Purdue 14. Oh, sorry. Purdue 13, Indiana 14, Northwestern 15, Rutgers 16. Okay. So Purdue... This is a bet on Ryan Walters. I think it's going to take them a little bit to reset after Jeff Brom. They're coming off a West championship. Purdue is 22 and 20, eighth best record among the 16 Big Ten teams for 2024. 22 and 20 is the eighth best conference record. So that's pretty good. This is, I think it's a good hire. I just think it may be such a fundamental reset that I have Purdue 15, but maybe I'm too low. You like to hire at Purdue? Have them 13? I like it. I I wouldn't call it like inspiring per se, but I think it's a good solid hire. Uh, I like some of the staff that he's brought on. They're going to bring in Graham Harrell as offense coordinator, which is such such an interesting decision in the in the the historic Big Ten West. Um, But you know Purdue. When you look at these four teams, you know Northwestern obviously has some great seasons, but Purdue has been more consistently successful over the last five years or so than I think these other three teams. And so uh, I, I've seen more investment at Purdue than I expected, especially in the Jeff Brom era. Uh, obviously, look, he was there. Louisville was always calling, right? Louisville was always calling Jeff Brom. He's a Louisville kid. He he played quarterback there. Um, but I think that they made a lot of upgrades that will impact the program in a positive way long-term. So for me, they're the, they're the team that I think is the, the head of this group. So I had Northwestern 13. This is a remarkable stat. In each of the last five years, Northwestern has either lost one Big Ten game or won one Big Ten game. So three of the seasons, they only had one Big Ten win. Two of the seasons, they only had one Big Ten loss in the last five years. And those two years, they went to the Big Ten championship game. It is a roller coaster ride. And the last two seasons have been horrible. I think Pat Fitzgerald is a good coach. They have invested. They fired their defensive coordinator. Their defense the past two years has been terrible. That's a big change. That was absolutely necessary. They have to find another quarterback. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. But I still think we've seen what it looks like. I mean, you're talking about Purdue as a best Pat Fitzgerald, there was a while there, like where they were good. So Pat Fitzgerald has been good. So I just, it's been very odd. Bad defensive coordinator after they lost Mike Hankwitz, who retired, who'd been their defensive coordinator for a while and was really good. They made a bad hire there. 
Fitz hired his friend. He wasn't good enough. So they got rid of that, and they have to figure out this quarterback position. Ryan Holinsky just didn't work out the way that Peyton Ramsey did in the transfer market, so they have to figure that out. But we know what it looks like in the recent history when Northwestern is good. So I did have them 13, but also the last two years have been horrendous. Yeah, the other thing that I'll mention is that, uh, you know, I think that we as a society have gotten to a point where we kind of are just discounting the Big Ten's COVID season. And if you discount in any way the Big Ten's COVID season, then Northwestern is 3-24 and in Big Ten play over the last three years, like three full seasons. It, like, and it counts. I'm not saying that it doesn't count. But that team was good. That team was good. That Peyton Ramsey at quarterback, Brandon Joseph and Greg Newsom in the secondary, like that was a real team. No, no, no. It, it was a real team. But like that was not a blip like the Indiana blip. I, I agree with that. But I think that some of the teams that they were playing against were bad blips. Right? You have Indiana so- too high. You have Indiana too high. <laughs> Indiana is last here. Indiana is a pure COVID Michael Penix miracle blip in the COVID year, and they stink otherwise. I have no idea how anybody wouldn't have Indiana last. Tom Allen's going to get fired after this year, and then we see what happens. But they're they're a, a, a dumpster fire right now, are they not? Yeah. No, no, that, that's fair. I I think that I yeah I think that I probably should have Indiana last, but it's yeah no it's it's all bad it's all bad I, I don't know I'm trying to find something positive to say about them and there's there's nothing. No, I just – I think they're – if they had not given – like Tom Allen, didn't he get an extension after the good Michael Penix yeah, year? Yeah, and so they can't year. fire him right now. So they're tied to that. They finished 12th in the final AP poll that year. They were 6-1 in the Big Ten, 6-2 overall. But the last two years, 0-9 and 2-7 and and in Big Ten play. They're just in trouble. That's why I have them lost. And then Rutgers, it's just a matter of what do you think – Greg Schiano is the absolute right coach for Rutgers. It's going to be an overhaul again. They're building this process. They're playing a young quarterback in Gavin Wimsatt. I just think that definitely Rutgers ahead of Indiana. And then I don't know what Ryan Walters is going to be as head coach. I kind of know what Greg Schiano is. It's just a slog. And so how how far along are they going to be in the slog by 2024? You have Rutgers last. I have Rutgers 14th. But at least you know we've seen Schiano do it at Rutgers before. You know there's possibility there, right? No, and I like what he's done over the last uh, over his tenure, basically over his three year tenure. Obviously, they haven't had a winning record, but I think that he has brought them back to relative competitiveness. Right, they're no longer a joke or a meme or anything. I think my question with Rutgers is is again just like from an existential program perspective, how much are they investing? Right, like how much how how serious is Rutgers about football now? When they have somebody there like Greg Shiana, who I think has done a tremendous job of of building some level of excitement and building excitement in recruiting, I think uh, in a way that I think was pretty unusual. You know, th- this is all good. This is all good. I think my question is, I don't know exactly how long they're going to let Greg Shiano keep doing this, and you know, if he's gone in a year or two, I don't think it'll be that soon. But if he's gone in two years or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. I think Greg Shiano retires there. I think he's the head coach of Rutgers for the next 15 years. I think he could go 0-12 every year and they wouldn't fire him. They fought. It was a, it was a fight for everybody to come to the agreement, and, and he's not going to go anywhere else, right? He, he, the, the whole Tennessee thing blew up for him. 
I thought that he was older than he is. He's only 56. So I guess, yeah, never mind. He's going to be there for 15 years. So, yeah. okay, that, that's fair then. That's fair. Then I'll put, I'll, I'll put in, I think that Indiana probably does deserve to be last then because yeah. Greg Chiano's going to be at Rutgers for 15 years. Tom Allen's not going to be at Indiana for 15 months. So yeah. Um, hey, but Tom Allen seems like a very nice man. Does he? He seems like an excitable guy that they, they've sure made a lot <laughs> well, of videos in the locker room the one good year they had. I'm sure he's fine. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but it's like, he gave a speech and everybody got excited. It's like, okay, that's not what coaching is. I will say, they, they did win eight games in 2019. Like, it's not like Tom Allen has done nothing ever, but it's it's bad, man. It's 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 real bad, and he's not going to be the coach there next year. And and by the way, by the way, uh, let me, Indiana Athletic Director, I can't remember your name. Uh, if you're listening to this, don't, don't overthink it, man. Just hire Ken Womack from South Alabama. Just just hire the defensive coordinator from the team. Come on, Ken Womack. Just make it easy. Don't waste our time. I think that's I think that's probably right. Okay. In the end, national championship upside in the somewhat near future. Three? Uh, I, Ohio State USD <laughs> Michigan. Do you do you have Michigan there? Do you not have Michigan there? I have Michigan there. I, I think they're think progressing toward it. Do you think it's only two? Because my question would be whether Penn State has a national championship upside or not. I think that Penn State's national championship upside is up is similar to Michigan's, which is to say, like, not awesome, but like it would it wouldn't be impossible, right? It's it's not like fully, fully, fully impossible, but we're talking like uh, Michigan or Penn State basically going on a TCU run. We talked about it with Michigan. J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards might be the best backfield in college football. That is unbelievable. We could see it this year because it's like, what does Michigan have to do? Well, they're going to have to still be more dynamic offensively. Now, they put up 50 against TCU, but like, how do they beat Bama? How do they beat Georgia? We might see it. Donovan Edwards is awesome. And the idea that Blake Corum stayed in school is a little mind-boggling. So I, I think... We could see the best of Michigan this year and finally see a Michigan team where it's like, oh, yeah, you don't have to stretch to envision them winning a national title. I can't get there. I I just think I think that right now you have to be in that top five to eight recruiting range to to have a chance. And Michigan's just not close. And they're not. No, that's true. They're they're not they're not close, and and I I feel bad saying that because I hate recruiting. It's not fun to me. But when you're playing again, again, we saw them play against Georgia in 2021, and this is a different team, and obviously they've got a different quarterback, and I think they have the ability to be more dynamic. Like this, this does feel like one of their best chances. They're gonna have to figure out that defense, I think, pretty quickly because they do lose a couple of key players off of that defense. And I think that the defense last year was worse than it was the year before. So they're gonna have to find a way to to get better and and be ready for prime time on defense. Cause this offense is ready. 2023 is the year, I think, for the offense. And if they don't win a playoff game this year, I'm like I don't know. I'm not they're saying not going it's away. impossible. I'm not, not, yeah. they're not going away. They're not, they're not going away. Not, but, but I'm talking about from a title perspective, from a national championship perspective. I don't know if you're ever going to have better than this backfield. And may, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't quite get there. And by the way, USC is like a half for me. Like only a half. You don't think USC has full national championship upside? I mean, if, in this moment right now, I think that okay, they do. They do. They do. They do. They. But it's like. I don't know. 
I mean, okay, you're Michigan's, at two. You're at two. You have I'm Ohio State, and USC. I'm at three and a half. I would include yeah. Michigan, and I'm halfway there on Penn State. Even though I have Wisconsin ahead of Penn State, I think Penn State's upside, upside, upside because I do think their skill guys are traditionally better. What's the the teams who have playoff upside? I would say I'm maybe at eight. Sure. Six six fully, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, UCLA fully. And then I said like the absolute peaks of Minnesota and Michigan State, maybe? Who yeah. I I think that this conference is built more for the idea of a truly one-off uh for some of these teams. Like I think that it is possible that Michigan State puts together a team. I think that it's possible that Minnesota puts together a team, you know, and that they're able to be the fourth best team in the Big Ten, and that's good enough. I and they get and they get the right schedule in a given year, and they pull one upset, and that's enough. I, so I think that there's more of a pathway to it. But if we're talking about teams that I think could legitimately compete for the playoff, it's probably six. I, I think that it's probably six. And I think we agree on that. Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, UCLA. And UCLA, they better keep doing what they're doing to hold on to that spot or they could teeter off the side of that because that's not where they've been traditionally. They're just, they got a quarterback recruit. They've had two good years and Chip Kelly's done it before. So there's enough there to believe in it now, but they have to keep it up. Whereas I think the other five are more established. Okay. I'll be curious to see if you guys like disagree. CFB Survivor Show on Twitter is a, is a place that you can tell us if you disagree strongly with either the rankings. I'll be I'll be very curious if some Michigan fans come out of the woodwork and say, "How can you? They're the last two Big Ten champions. How can you not have them one?" And I'm not I'm not sure they're wrong. Here's something I'll say too: is that I would absolutely love Michigan to prove me wrong and win a national championship and be the best team in the Big Ten, because I think that's better for the sport to have more pathways to success. I don't like the fact that I have to sit here and say that three teams are doing things differently than everybody else. I don't like it. It's not fun for me. I don't like that part of football, but that's reality, right? I mean, outside of uh, outside of LSU kind of going on this crazy run with a team that kind of just had the best talent that we've ever seen, like it's it's been Alabama, it's been Georgia, it's been Clemson, and that's kind of been it. And I love the idea of another team just coaching up football at a high enough level to to make up for it. But I got to see it, man. I I, I got to see it before but, I but can listen, assume it. The other thing is Michigan two years ago lost to the eventual national champ, showed they couldn't compete, but lost to the eventual national champ. And then this past year should have played in the national championship game and blew the TCU game. Why? They blew it. Why? They were down by... They were about down by three scores for most of the game. Like you can't, you can't be like, oh man, we almost beat TCU, the team that lost sixty-five to seven no, in the I'm national saying, title game. But they were game. like, they were, but they almost made. The, but like to act like, oh, I need to see it for Michigan. They should have been in the national championship. You game this shouldn't. Year. If you're serious, you shouldn't lose to TCU in the playoff. No, but come on, like, but, but we can't have every conversation be about you, Georgia. When we're talking about the national title, we can. When we're talking about the national title, we absolutely can have that discussion. They had a touchdown taken away. There should have been a touchdown. Come on. Congratulations on your almost beating TCU. Congratulations. They made the playoff two straight years. There's only two teams in the sport that have been in both of the last two playoffs. The two-time and national champs and one year and lost to TCU the other year, man. Like, they're so not. Now you're, they're now not. you're saying, so that's a shot at TCU. You're like, they lost to TCU. TCU made the national championship game. 
we're not doing Big 12. We're not doing Big 12 uh, versions of this. But you know how many teams in the Big 12 I would say can win the national championship? I would say zero. Zero teams in the Big 12 can win the national championship. We did, when we talked about the Oklahoma-Georgia game in the playoff when Oklahoma blew it and Georgia won in overtime and Georgia went to the national championship game. Yeah. I see this Michigan TCU game similarly, right? Like he blew it, but he probably but should then, have won. But Georgia could have won the national title that year and TCU absolutely could not have won the national title this year. It's a much different quality of team. It is a much different quality of team. But if we're having a discussion of like, you can't beat Georgia, then it's like, well, now we're having a one team conversation. So, so Michigan but, made but the it, last there two are playoffs teams every year that are that caliber. Alabama has been there. Georgia has been there. Obviously, they've got a good match against Ohio State that they're killing right now. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's just I, I, I think they're ascending still. I do think they've they've been as good as anybody other than Georgia the last two years, and I think they're still ascending. So I think that's why I I don't I'm not putting a ceiling on their performance the last few years if i thought if i thought that was the best that michigan could be i think i'd agree with you i don't think it is the best that they can be i think they know what they need to be to get to that next step so it's tough to get there it's tough for anybody to beat georgia alabama right now but i think michigan is is pretty much right there and again we'll see what jj mccarthy blake corbin donovan edwards can do this year man i do think usc is really going to shake this up though like i'm super excited for this version of the big 10 because the big 10 has been so static Ohio State's the best team, no doubt about it. And then Michigan's kind of there. And this is this is a this is a sea change, even more of a change because Alabama and Georgia aren't going away. It is a the Big Ten is going to change more than the SEC is going to change, and I think it is going to be fascinating and it's going to be much more interesting. And I and I hope that it's not the same team. It's been interesting the last two years for Michigan to win the Big Ten. It's not Ohio State every year now. So now you throw USC in that mix, and the top of the Big Ten gets more interesting. All right. We're glad to do this. We're looking ahead to 2024. It's a playoff show. We're thinking about teams that can compete at that level. Final conclusion. Ohio State, number one for both of us. USC, number two. Michigan, number three. I have Wisconsin, four. Penn State, five. Shahan has Penn State, four. Wisconsin, five. We both have UCLA, six. Our big difference is on Illinois and Iowa. I have Illinois, seven. Shahan has Illinois, 11. Shahan has Iowa 7, I have Iowa 12. We basically just flip-flop those two teams because we both have Minnesota 8, we both have Michigan State 9. I have Maryland 10, Shahan has Maryland 12. Shahan has Nebraska 10, I have Nebraska 11. We said before, Illinois and Iowa, the switches. I have Northwestern 13, Shahan has Northwestern 15. I have Rutgers 14, Shahan has Rutgers 16. I have Purdue 15, Shahan has Purdue 13. And I have Indiana 16, Shahan has Indiana 14, but we agree on that bottom four. Okay, we'll figure out more stuff to talk about. Go read Shahan at cbssports.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the College Football Survivor Show so you don't miss a single episode. For now, thanks to you guys for listening. For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 